Welcome to the heavenly banquet where the hungry are filled with good things. Our reading today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. Once more, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding banquet, but they would not come. Again, he sent other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Look, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they made light of it and went away, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his slaves, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his troops, destroyed those murderers, and burned their city. Then he said to his slaves, The wedding is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, into the main streets and invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad, so the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing a wedding robe, and he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot, and throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. This is the word of the Lord. This is a story of immense violence, ultimately senseless violence. Well, all violence is senseless, but this violence can't masquerade under an excuse. It's plainly absurd, plainly ugly, and that seems to be the point. This short story whips us from a wedding invitation to abduction and murder the complete annihilation of a whole city, and the petty, spiteful degradation of a guest. It starts simply enough. A king is hosting a wedding banquet for his son. That sounds like quite the event, quite the party. A royal banquet. I'd want to check one of those out, wouldn't you? And some lucky folks were invited, but they didn't come. That's odd. That's curious. Am I missing something? I wonder what they might know that I don't. What would keep you from a royal wedding banquet? Too busy? Come on. Other plans? Are you kidding? What would keep you away? The king tries again. He sends his slaves back out, and just so there's no mistake, he instructs his slaves to tell folks that the party's really going to be awesome. There's all kinds of food beef barbecue and veal too, and it's ready. It's on the table. No need to wait even. Just come. But again, they don't come. And they don't just refuse the invitation. They don't just politely excuse themselves or silently turn away. 
they're mean. They mock the slaves, say awful things. Some of them even beat the slaves up. Some of them even kill some of the slaves. And for what? A party invitation? That's odd. That's curious. Am I missing something? I wonder what they might know that I don't. What would cause you to respond so terribly, so violently to an invitation? An invitation? Why act so scared, angry, worried? It's an invitation, not a threat, right? Or is it? Maybe you'd act so scared and angry and worried if you had reason to act so scared and angry and worried. Maybe you have some history with this guy, or maybe you've heard the stories about this guy. Maybe he's hurt you or someone you know, or maybe he's proved himself to be untrustworthy, erratic, violent. Maybe you worry about what will happen at the party. Maybe you worry that it's unsafe to attend. Or maybe you just don't want to hang around with this guy or be associated with his reputation or the reputation of his kingdom. Maybe you know this invitation is nothing but trouble and it doesn't matter what's on the table. It's just not worth the risk. And maybe you were right because this king becomes so enraged that he sends his troops to storm the city. They wipe out the insurrectionists and burn the whole thing to the ground. It's a disproportionate response, and, well, it's certainly not the route to peace or reconciliation or how we make friends who want to come to our party. It's brutal and violent, indiscriminately violent, a terrifying show of force. And so the next invitation isn't refused. Who would risk refusing it? We know full well what this king is capable of, that he's erratic, and tyrannical, and violent, and unhinged. He burnt your whole city to the ground. Do you want a chance what he'll do next? And so the survivors of the king's raid go to the wedding banquet. The king has filled the hall, but only after destroying everything his would-be guests have. There are no excuses now. Nothing exists but the wedding feast. But among the king's traumatized guests, or maybe it's more fair to call them hostages, among the king's traumatized, terrorized hostages is a guest who hasn't met the dress code. This is petty and mean in any circumstance. A host receives his guests however they are. That's how real hospitality works. To attack someone for their attire is just nasty. But listen, the king burnt down the whole city. Where was this guest supposed to acquire a wedding robe? If he had had one, it was surely destroyed. And if there had been a local tailor, his shop was surely gone as well. You know what this guy was likely wearing? He was likely wearing his only clothes. The clothes he was wearing when the king stormed the city and killed his neighbors. The clothes he was wearing when the king burned the city and destroyed everything he had, everything he had ever known. The clothes he was wearing when he was pulled off of those rubble-filled streets and brought to the banqueting hall. 
And that guest, a guest who had already lost everything, was singled out, ridiculed, and thrown out of the banquet. That's terrible. That's awful. That's cruel and pointless. That's violence. And that's power. I know some of you have heard this story taught as the king being God and something something about people refusing the invitation of this faith to church even. And well, I wonder what that means those preachers must think of God or their churches or this faith because this king is evil and awful and prideful and spiteful and that's not my God. That's not my God. My God is Lord, but my God doesn't rule like that. That's not my God. Now, if I wanted to choose a figure here who looks something like my God, I'd choose this guest who gets thrown out of the banquet. That looks like my God because that looks like my Jesus. From the moment of Jesus' birth, he was oppressed by powers, revealing their cruelty, injustice, and violence. Heck, even before his birth, Jesus' mother sings a song about how God through Christ has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. We know how this story will go before it even starts. And as an infant, Jesus' family is forced to become refugees in Egypt, fleeing Herod, a ruler so jealous, so fearful of a baby, a baby, that he has all male children under the age of two murdered. That's horrific, but also just pathetic and weak. Jesus will later learn that another Herod has murdered his cousin John on a dare, as part of a party trick. John's done nothing wrong, and Herod knows it. He even likes the guy, but he made a silly promise, and instead of doing the right thing, he does what maintains his own sense of honor and executes an innocent man for entertainment's sake. That's horrific, but also just pathetic and weak. And Jesus will face his own confrontations with power through Pilate and Herod, This poor, seemingly insignificant man will be scorned and interrogated, and like the guest in today's story, he'll remain silent. He'll refuse to cooperate. He'll refuse to defend himself. And he too will be cast out to a place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, a place called Golgotha. And there he'll be executed without any real trial, without having been found guilty of anything but murdered by the state because he was some kind of trouble, some kind of inconvenience, some kind of threat. An itinerant preacher, a poor carpenter's son, executed in a terrifying and humiliating way because he was seen as a threat to Rome, a threat to an empire. That's horrific, but also just pathetic and weak. And all violence is. All violence is horrific, but also just pathetic and weak. Kidnapping and murdering children and old ladies, that's horrific, but also just pathetic and weak. Bombing hospitals, indiscriminately killing with chemical weapons, torturing and raping civilians, that's horrific, but also just pathetic and weak. 
refusing to supply citizens with clean water, electricity, housing, because it's not to your economic advantage? That's horrific, but also just pathetic and weak. Legislating against the rights of transgendered kids, threatening their safety and their futures, that's horrific, but also just pathetic and weak. Gunning down unarmed black men in the street or in their cars or in their homes out of a fear born of white supremacy, that's horrific, but also just pathetic and weak. Ravaging the earth for fossil fuels, depleting the water table, trading the future of the world for current convenience and supposed gain, that's horrific, but also just pathetic and weak. This is a parable that, like Jesus' teachings, a parable that, like Jesus' life, shows the absurdity, the lies, the ultimate ineffectiveness of supposed power. Power seeks only to maintain power, and power is maintained through cruelty, manipulation, and violence. Power serves itself, but love offers itself, empties itself in service. And love can't be overcome, while power is often its own undoing. Love can't be overcome, while power is often its own undoing. Rome was right that Jesus was a threat. In his death and resurrection, he exposed all of the lies of an empire, exhibited true power through self-sacrificial love, and proved that violence is meaningless, that even threats of violence are meaningless, because death isn't the end. Death is nothing in the face of the Lord of life, and Rome and all of the empires and all of the despots and all of the bullies in the world have nothing, have no power at all if they don't have the power to hurt you or to kill you. And you can't kill those who live into the hope of the resurrection. You can't kill those who are promised eternal life. You can't kill those who are ingrafted into Christ. The threats are meaningless. The violence is meaningless. Nothing has any meaning at all but love. You know, our story today doesn't have a real ending. That seems to be a favorite convention of Jesus, to leave the stories unfinished or perhaps to close with an unanswered question, inviting his audience and us to participate in the story, to fill in those gaps ourselves. And so I wonder what would have happened next in this parable. What would have happened after the king has this poor, traumatized, and terrorized man humiliated and thrown out of the banqueting hall? Do you think everyone just went back to their feast? That seems possible, perhaps likely, given this king's violent and erratic behavior. Why draw attention to yourself and end up thrown into the street as well? I wouldn't blame the guests if they kept their heads down, averted their eyes, and held their collective breath. But you know what I want to have happen? 
I want those guests to say something. I want those guests to say, that's enough. I want those guests to stand up for the dignity of their townsmen and to walk out with him, to refuse to participate in the king's reign of terror. And I really want the king's servants to ignore this order, to throw the man out. I want them to refuse to be part of this any longer too. I want everyone to leave that feast, to abandon those lavish tables for the rubble of the city, for them to disavow the supposed gifts of power in pursuit of love, for them to give up any attachment to what's been bought through violence and to cling to the prize that's been bought through love to walk away from all of the lies and terror of this world, no matter what it promises, no matter what momentary good it offers. I want those guests to rise up and to disavow all of the powers of this world and to boldly follow the one who showed strength through love, through self-sacrifice, through a never-ending wellspring of charity. I want those guests to follow Christ to stand firm in the face of injustice, to stand tall in solidarity with the oppressed, to love extravagantly as though there's nothing at risk, nothing to lose because love never ends, can never be depleted. I want those guests to live as though they'll never die, to love as though they'll never die. And I want that for you and for me too. Amen.